Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is our golden text. For by grace you are saved through faith. The grace is what saves us. The faith is the pipe that brings it. Everybody say amen. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's brag time for Papa. Yesterday, oldest grandson, Alex, was pitching. I don't know how many he struck out. And they were playing a really good team. I said, oh, you starting? And the, the, the night before we were having a little get together. And he said... I said, uh, he said, I'm pitching tomorrow. I said, oh, you're starting? He said, yeah. And he, and he said, you know, we must be playing a good team because they always start me. And his parents have been getting him pitching lessons. And so, and uh, he's like that much taller than several of the kids on his team. I mean, he's, he's, he's almost looking at me at the, in the eye at age 11. And he uh, uh, went to the mound and pitched three scoreless innings. Struck out, I don't know how many batters. It's a six-inning game, and they brought in another kid. But the interesting part is that he also hit a three-run home run. And I'm going to start calling him, I told uh, Lita, I said, I'm going to start calling him Redford. And she goes, Redford? Well, of course, she didn't grow up in the culture, and so she doesn't know the movie The Natural. How this guy was, he not only was an awesome pitcher, he was also an awesome hitter. And that he just did everything. I was saying, yeah, I'm going to start calling him. And it was played by Robert Redford. I'm going to start calling him Redford. But the funny part was after, and I mean, we were over at the Blue Valley Sports Complex. And those fields are good size. And before he even got to first base, the umpire was doing this. You know, because I mean, it sailed way over the fence. And... Um, you know, and so I can tell you without fear of successful contradiction that he's got the home trot run trot thing down pretty good. And when he came around third, all the kids are jumping up and down and he it was a, a three run homer. And as he comes around third, his coach goes like this and then they like this. And the look on his face, uh, Lita shot video of it and, and, you know, and you can ask her and I'm sure she'll be happy to show it to you, you know, because he's like, <laughs> <laughs> like that. And I'm thinking, Lord, let him be that humble for the rest of his life, no matter what. Everybody say amen. Anyway, it was it was a it was a it was a fun game. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I want to talk about grace in the midst of judgment today. Grace in the midst of judgment. Um think for just a moment, if you would. Of the world system and human culture as a stream or a river. It's a current. It's constantly changing. Our country is nothing like it. Or, well, not nothing. But our country is, has changed dramatically just in the last three years. Well, actually just in the last year and a half. But before the, even before that. And that's not just true here. It's true everywhere. And it's not just true in the 21st century. It has been true of humanity um, since the fall. And we are in that stream. We are in that current. We're in that flow. There's only two ways out of that current. There's only two ways out of that flow. And it's either by death, when we graduate and go to heaven, or by the second coming. 
And so the flow is, in some places it's stronger than others, but my point is that it is uniformly away from God. And we have to exert effort to maintain our faith. Said another way, that the world around us is corrosive to our faith. I have a... I have a, an unlimited car wash thing uh, pass over here at this car wash over here. And one of the reasons I have it is that when you go through that car wash, uh, it has a thing that blasts everything off the bottom of it. And in the wintertime, uh, it keeps, I mean, I'll be over there before the streets completely dry up sometimes. I remember one time uh, Aaron came over when the, our, we had a branch of our bank right over here on, off of... Uh, uh, whatever this road is that turns into the, goes out into the lake, there was, you know, he pulls into the parking lot and there's still snow melting. And he came walking in. He said, I knew it had to be you. I said, why? He said, because there's a forerunner parked out front and it's absolutely clean. There are no other clean cars. And as a direct result of that, you can look under my vehicle and there is no rust. There, it hasn't got, I don't give it a chance to get started. And why? Because I am, I, I, I trouble myself with that, like the Shunammite, okay? All right, well here, and, and when we're in this world, I'm telling you, the world around us is corrosive to faith. You watch television, you listen to the radio, you listen to pop culture, music, you read, uh, you know, th this stuff. You know, there is, you, you know, um, it is corrosive. And as the level of faith in our culture declines, so does the flow of grace, power, and the manifestation. It isn't magic. There is a correlation. If I am, uh, if my faith is beginning to wane, not because God doesn't love me, and not because I don't love God, but because I'm not paying as much attention. I'm not spending as much time in the Word. I'm not spending as much time in prayer. I'm not spending as much time, you know, I'm not in, in church. I'm not doing the things that the Scripture says are good to keep me plugged in. And it, what happens over a period of time is, it, you know, my, as my faith, as I, as I get a little distracted or whatever, it begins to kind of choke off that, that how many of you follow my, follow my illustration, okay? It would not be at all unlike plaque forming on the arteries heading into your heart. It's, it's over a period of time, it gets, you know, pretty soon you have a faith attack, or I mean a heart attack, all right? And in fact, uh, Jesus talks, you know, and in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, that's why Paul writing, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, writing the Hebrew believers, said, for this reason, we must pay closer attention. There's that word again about anxiety, you know, being anxious, fussing over it, paying strict attention, paying, you know, be at pains, as Paul said to Timothy, so that what to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. In Mark chapter 4 Verses 18 and 19 from the Good News Bible, Jesus is talking about the seed. You know, he's the parable of the sower and the soils, and he's explaining it to the disciples. And in verse 18, he says this, Other people are like the seeds, which was the word, sown among the thorn bushes. These are the ones who hear the message. But the worries of this life, the love for riches, and all other things of desires crowd in, and choke 
the message, choke the word, and they don't bear fruit. When he was preaching that same message elsewhere, Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, he says it this way, And as for what fell among the thorns, they all are those who, or they are those who hear, but they go on their way. Too many times we think of, 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 of our relationship with God as something that is secondary or tertiary. We would never say that, but it doesn't inform the most important areas and the most important decisions we make. I mean, it, you know, it's like things come up and we say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And we don't even necessarily pray about it because, you know, it's, it's, it's just seems logical to us. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's not. And it, he goes on to say, they go on their way and they are choked by the cares and riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. I'm here to tell you, saints, and we're, I, I told you years ago that we were coming into a time that you couldn't just do anything and get by. And that what used to work previously will stop working. We're there. And we have to deliberately swim upstream or we will be swept out. We have to decide to focus on spiritual things. We have to be disciplined in it. Anybody here ever been on a diet? I'm sorry. A diet is where you are intentionally, you are making, you are making choices about what you'll eat, what you'll not eat, how much you'll eat, and even maybe when you'll eat it. So in other words, you are showing a great deal of attention and care to what you take in with a goal in mind. Physical, improving your physical health, improving your, your situation, getting your body mass index under a certain number or whatever, or fitting the, you know, your uh, military uniform for the, your 50th reunion of, the, you know, of your paratrooper unit or, or, or whatever. I, you know, we, had that, um, we had that Veterans Day here three or four years ago, and Arnie, they brought their helicopter and you know, set it out there. And boy, do we have a lot of people coming and looking at that and everything. And, and some of you may remember, I wore my uniform from when I got out of the army and preached in it. And boy, was I glad to get out of that. Because, I mean, I, you know, I fit in it, but I was fit, I fit in it like I was poured in it. You know, I have, I've grown since then, or had. All right, so the point is that it's a, you know, and the drift begins slowly and begins to pick up speed. In Philippians 3 and 1, Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is, again, is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. I realize that in many ways, I have a tendency to come back and say the same thing to you differently, five different ways. Why? Because it is important that we get this, because if we don't, there will be strong crying and tears. And there's a lot of people who are, you know, they just, they're just lumping along, bumping along, floating along, and don't even realize that the roar they're hearing is not thunder, it is the waterfall. Wisdom, hear me. One of the things they'll tell you, there are certain things. 
one of the things they'll tell you about, I, I love these movies, like uh, one that I was watching was uh, recently while I was working out was Independence Day, where the president of the United States, a former jet fighter pilot, you know, gets in a fighter, gets in a, gets in a you know, an F-18 or something like that, and goes out to fly against the aliens. And I'm chuckling on the inside. That guy hadn't been in an airplane in 12 years. And he's supposed to get in this aircraft and fly it like he flew it last night. No. Flying is, and they will tell you this, your instructor will tell you, you got to stay with it. Flying an aircraft is a perishable skill. Does it all go? It's not like riding a bicycle. Riding a bicycle, you can like that and it'll come back. Flying will come back, but there's a lot more to it because when you see all the dials, the gauges, you got to remember, okay, I need to do this here and I need to do that here and all that kind of stuff. Flying is multitasking. And hopefully it's not the ability to mess up more than one thing at a time. All right. Wisdom is a perishable skill. If we don't walk in it, it will begin to fade. Proverbs 14 and 7 says this. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. There are certain things on TV we shouldn't watch. I can name most of the news networks right here. I'm not even necessarily talking about something that's off color. Just talking about lies. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Walking with wise men. What are we doing? We're encouraging one another. We're holding one another up. That's one of the things that we are called to do in the last days is stick together. Like we talked about Wednesday night. I mean, we form a phalanx. We are shoulder to shoulder. Shields up. But today we're told that grace, you know, is the mercy of God that covers everything and finished works theology that Jesus has done it all and that we don't need, you know, God has no requirements on us and we can just live however the flesh seems to or however the culture dictates and it's not a big deal. But that is not what the Bible says about the grace of God. We have too much kangaroo exegesis. Exegesis is the word meaning the interpretation or the uh, pulling out the meaning of scripture. Right. And when kangaroo exegesis is that when you get to something you don't like, just hop over it. Act like it's not there. And listen to this. Titus chapter two, verses 11. Everybody say New Testament. For the grace of God has appeared Bringing salvation, here it says to, New American Standard says to, it should say for. For all men, dative case, for all men. Instructing us. What is instructing us? The grace of God is instructing. It is teaching. It is training us to deny ungodliness. Everybody say amen. amen. Now the answer, now that word instructing means just like the Hebrew understanding of wisdom, chachmah, is wisdom that is pounded in, pounded in, pounded in, pounded in. When you're teaching children, what, do you, what is one of the major things you use? Repetition 
and variety. And God teaches us. And he's showing us these things over and over and over. And yes, that word has the idea and a component of compulsion, compulsory training, compulsory education. You come in and tell God that the dog ate your homework and you will get detention. That went over big. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, I'm going to prove it to you, to all men. Instructing us, training us to deny, to reject ungodliness and worldly desires. To live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Also New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3 through 11. Verses 3 through 11. Consider him, meaning Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point. So in other words, we are to push back against sin. We are to deny, reject ungodliness. When we see things that we know are not right, we don't sit and dwell on them. We reject them. He's in your struggle against sin. So too many Christians today in North America in particular who are not struggling at all. They're just rolling with the flow. And you have not resisted to the point of shedding of the blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Or have you forgotten it? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, there it is again, of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved. Now, we don't use the word reproved when you are corrected by him. Or, as I'll clean this up a little bit, a butt-chewing. How many of you know what a butt-chewing is? All right. Addressed by him. You are reproved. You are chewed out by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I know some people are going, Lord, could you love me just a little less? You don't want that. You don't want to go where that takes you. And chastises. That word in Greek is mastigao, and it means just exactly what it says. Spanks. Every son, everybody say every. Turn to somebody and say, oh, I think he's talking about you. Every son, every daughter he, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. What? Wait a minute. I came into this because I was told that God would bless me and he would make me, he would, he would heal me and he would pay my bills and help me with finances. All of that's true, but that's not the goal. What is the goal? Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, growing in grace, growing in, in faith, growing in love, growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the, that's the number one goal. And it's for that we endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? And if you're without discipline, I just slipped out of my... And if you are left without discipline, in which uh, all have participated, then you are 
illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father, uh, father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us. He, meaning God, disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness for the... Oh, now, here it is. If you want to know if I'm right about this at all, and I've understood those terms like mastigao and paiduo correctly, look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems what? Painful. Painful. Oh me, oh my. Rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Yes, that's New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 32. When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be damned along with the world. How many of you are glad about that? You know, he even in that very same passage, verse, verses 30 through 32, he says the way you guys are behaving, they're not resisting sin. He says, for this reason, many of you are weak and sick. And a number sleep. Sleep means they're dead. They've died. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because we are seeing the discipline of the Lord, the the grace of God calling all men to repentance around us by the squeeze that we see happening over the whole earth. Not just the United States of America. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, he was talking to the same group. He said, it's actually reported among you or that there is immorality among you and an immorality of of a kind that doesn't even exist among the Gentiles that some one of you is sleeping with his stepmother. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. So that the one who has done this thing should be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has committed this. And as as if I were present. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to uh, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That tells me that my father loves me so much that he'll let, he'll let the circumstances and he'll let the curse overtake me rather than step in there. How many of you have ever met a spoiled brat? I'm not going to ask how many of us were spoiled brats. You ever met somebody that their parents just gave them everything they wanted and they've always had everything they wanted to in life. And boy, you talk about somebody that gets arrogant and quick. And boy, what have you done for me lately? I want it now. Give it to me right now. And if you don't give it to me, I'll let, I'm, I'm going to give you how and how. All right. It's redemptive that his spirit may be saved. What we're seeing in the world today is redemptive. God, the wrath of God doesn't come until later. Wrath is not redemptive. It's actual punishment. And that is the mercy of God, the grace of God. Spanking grace. Amen. Yes. Do you, you you mean, you really mean spanking grace? Yes, I do. Because that's exactly what it means. 
And we're seeing it all around us. We made, uh, we made reference to Revelation 6 and previous, previously in this series, the horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're called. The white horse, the first seal, the spirit of Antichrist. Not the Antichrist himself, but the spirit of Antichrist. Governments becoming oppressive and authoritarian. All over the world, not just here, all over the world. They cease to be for the people, by the people, but they are over the people. And even against the people. Then we see the red horse, the second seal. War. That doesn't just include kinetic war, although we are seeing that now. A hot shooting war. But strife. Enmity. Lying. Political struggle and intrigue. That which brings it on. The third seal, the black horse. Inflation of mammoth proportions. Even before the war, it was supply chain issues. All right. Some of, of which now are the direct result of the war. And we've been we've seen dramatic shortages. I was reading yesterday about how eggs have so shot up in price because the, the, the bird flu has killed uh, so many chickens. And the winter wheat harvest is supposed to be absolutely horrible this year because of drought and planting conditions. And they're saying that. Idaho and some of the northern states that if they can't get corn in the ground really soon, they won't plant corn and that the yield is going to be greatly reduced. You remember he said a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley or it would take a full day's wage for someone to feed their family. Then the pale horse, famine and pestilence that follows on. We're already seeing that. I don't know if you saw it, but in Sri Lanka yesterday, there was rioting and they're burning down their leaders' houses because of inflation to the point they can't feed their family. Anybody remember the Arab Spring? That's what it was about. And there is a lot of concern in the Arab world right now because they import nearly half of their food. And a lot of it comes from Ukraine. And so there are issues. And if you are a coffee lover like me, is there anybody in here that likes coffee? Amen. My granddaughter raised her. Chip off the old block over there. Uh, the cold temperatures in Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. That's global warming for you. Cold temperatures in Brazil are greatly reducing the Arabica crop down there, the Arabica beans. And they say, look for coffee to go up. So immediately after service, you'll know who really loves coffee because they're going straight over to Costco and they are going to load up the truck. And it's that, you know, whether it's bacon or whatever, you know, chickens way up and all that kind of stuff. I've got good news coming here. What I'm saying is God is showing the world that your human ingenuity and your human government is not enough to save you. And we have a whole generation that has, you know, the, the, the cares and the worries of this life, the desires for other things, the deceitfulness of riches has entered in. And they've just wandered off thinking that everything's okay. The fifth seal is martyrdom. And those governments, there are murder, we've got governments right now murdering Christians. The sixth seal is anarchy where, using the term properly, all hell breaks loose. Paving the way for the substitute Christ to arise as people cry out, 
peace and safety. And as they're doing that, here comes the man with the plan. Amen. And as hard as it is to believe, this isn't the devil. It is someone who is indwelt by him. But this is God. All this stuff that is having. And I won't even talk about the Antichrist. What I'm saying is that the four horsemen, those aren't demons. That is God grounding, putting on restriction, dealing with the world population, saying, I'm dealing with you. You better come to me. You better cry out to me. And believe me, as we pray, the Holy Spirit is dealing with people, tugging their hearts toward him. Some people aren't going to cry out to God until they've lost their job and the state doesn't have the money to pay unemployment benefits. And there's no stimmy coming. Or the stimmy that comes won't buy any. I don't know if you've seen it, but... They talked about how American savings rates had spiked so high. Yeah, all based on the STEMI check. Today, they're at a historic low. And credit cards are all, everybody's credit cards are crying uncle. Now good. This is God turning up the heat. Turning up the heat to get people to cry out to him. You know, you could even say it's spanking grace. It's grinding. But y'all are just so enthusiastic about this. I can't tell you. I know you're happy to hear this, but you should be. Because when you look around, I'm here to tell you. Well, we'll get there. I don't want to. Isaiah 26, 9 and 10. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgment, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Everybody say, learn righteousness. Though the wicked has shown favor, he doesn't learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of Yahweh. If you go on to the next verse, it says, O Lord, your arm is upraised, but they do not perceive it. Wow. No, it's not a lot of fun. Israel turned its back on God and a, and, and a hellish government came in in the days of Elijah. Ahab. Probably the most wicked king with Jezebel, the most wicked queen that Israel ever had. She even murdered the, and martyred the, the, the preachers, the Yahweh. The, the Bible calls it the, the, the sons of the prophets. Remember when Obadiah met uh, uh, Elisha and Elisha said, go tell Ahab I'm going to meet him on Carmel. And Obadiah said to him, uh, I don't think so. Because, you know, has anybody told you that I'm on your side? And just as quick as, you know, I hid the prophets of, you know, of the Lord, the, the preachers. I hid them by fifties in cave and, and fed them bread and water and kept them alive when the, when the government was hunting them down and killing them. You know, and just as sure as you tell me you're going to be there, he'll show up because he's been looking for you for three and a half years. And you won't, you know, the... Holy Spirit's going to take, whisk you away someplace. Apparently he had a reputation for that kind of travel. Who needs an airline? Amen. And I'm pretty sure that the Lord doesn't charge a high fare. And that's actually happened more than once. It's even happened in the New Testament. But, but, but I digress. And he said, no, you have him meet me. Because I'll be there. And in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, 
Elijah, Eliyahu the Teshpite, who was the settle of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, is before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Three and a half years. Now, Elijah put himself in a spot because he told the king, it's not going to rain again until I say so. And I'm sure Ahab's going, nah, nah, nah. A year later, Ahab's going, nah, nah, nah. And another year, it's like, nah. And after three years, it's like, ugh. And you've got to remember, this just isn't any old plague. God is spanking Baal, right out in public. Baal, the God of fertility. Baal, the God who brings the rain. Baal, the God who causes the livestock to, to multiply and the crops to be abundant. And God's got Baal by the throat. And everybody can see it. Exactly like he did in Egypt when he judged their gods one after another, after another, after another. And Jezebel's standing there and the prophets of Baal are doing And he says, you have the prophets meet me. 450 of the Asherah, I think it was, and 400 of, the, of, of Baal. And let's meet on Carmel and the God that answers by fire. That's the real God. You think God is not spanking our gods today, our false gods today, the God of money and the God of, you know, the God of government. Sure he is. Sure he is. People were dying, dying of thirst. Remember Elijah, he, from, he, he went to a place and sat and there was a brook there called Karit and he drank out of that and waited for dirty birds to bring him food in the morning and the evening. Then the brook dried up. So in other words, he had to deal with things. You know, it really was a drought. And the Lord said, go down to Zarephath. I've appointed a widow to feed you. So he goes down to Zarephath. And as he's walking up to the city. And this is in Sidon, which was Jezebel's dad's kingdom. He was et Baal. The, the, he, was, he was the high priest of Baal. And right under his nose... Elisha goes down there. Elijah goes down there. He sees this widow out gathering sticks. And he says, give me a little bit of water. Well, apparently the well was still and they were close to the coast. And so he said, oh, and bring me a little piece of bread to eat. And she looks at him and says, you know what? Um, I was gathering some sticks. I was going to build a fire because I've got just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and I was going to make a tortilla and my son and I were going to eat it and die. Now that's a plan. <laughs> and he says, okay, do that, fix it, but bring some to me first. And then promises her she will continue to eat. Isn't that just like a preacher to ask you for your last tortilla? <laughs> Tell you what? And she did it. And it says she stayed, he, Elisha, stayed with her and she and her family ate on that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil for many days while people were dying of hunger. Think about a drought, the way it grinds on and on. At the first, it's not too bad, but then it starts getting a little more serious. 
Then if it doesn't rain, it starts getting a whole lot more serious. And then if it doesn't rain, how many of you think over three and a half years it could get pretty serious? I mean, the reason Obadiah was out walking around to begin with was they were looking for some sort of water because they didn't want to have to slaughter their livestock. I mean, this is getting, it's bad. And yet, there were 7,000 that God had preserved in the midst of it who had not bowed the knee to Baal and whose mouth had not kissed him. Saying to God, if we will fuss over our God, if we will be attentive to our God and walk with him, we needn't worry about all this stuff going on around us. And we need not be one of those going, running around with their hair on fire going, the devil's in charge, the devil's in charge. No, he is not. In fact, I'm sure there are several things that are happening that if he could stop it, he would. Because he knows where it's, he, he, he knows scripture, he knows where this is leading. And it's not good for him. You know, when the devil comes around and shows you pictures of destruction and disaster and failure, just remind him of his future. 1 Kings chapter 18, we'll skip up to verse, or down to verse 20. And Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? I love that word in the Hebrew because it means, How long will you limp along? Literally limp. And try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in God. Notice what it says here. How long will you limp along between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Now we say, well, they were, you know, faithless. Yeah, I, there's probably some of that operating. But you've got to remember, the king is standing there with his officers. And anybody that spouts off and says, I'm for Yahweh. That's a good way to get your head cut off. Hellish government. And... He, you know, and we know what happens. He called, you know, he called fire down from heaven. And I love the way, you know, Elisha was one who either was just really on fire and really confident or he was running for his life. He was just so discouraged. You ever had that happen to you? It seems like today you're on top of the world and God is good. He's got it all together. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm going through. Yahoo! And the next day it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Oh, Lord, help me. Well, you're in good company. That's what James meant when he said Elijah was a man of like passions, as are we. Is that a fun place to be? No. Is it a good place to be? No. And we don't see that in his successor, Elisha. Everybody say amen. I like Elijah, but I want to be more of an Elisha type. Why? Because it's more comfortable. Completely at rest in God. Amen. You know, hello, this is good stuff. Amen. If I do say so myself, I'll eat my own cooking if you won't. I'm here to tell you, you know, I've, I've actually been told, it just seems like some of the stuff you're saying is so negative. Will it? Have you been out there? Good grief. 
And we're to walk through that. We sing that song. If I, what was it? I walk through the fire. You know, no way we'll be burned. No way, or we walk through the water. You know, we'll not drown. We walk through the, the fire, we'll not be burned, etc. Do we believe that? Hallelujah. So they're gathered on Carmel and they, you know, and, and so the prophets of Baal got up first and the Asher and they're jumping up and down and they're screaming and yelling. They're cutting themselves with lances. They're prophesying. Literally, it says they prophesied and they're prophesying and they're doing all of this stuff. Oh, Baal, answer us. And they're doing all that. And they go on for hours. And Elijah's standing over there. Hmm. And then he gets, then he starts feeling his oats, like I was saying a minute ago. Hey, yell a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap. And then finally, he said, okay, about the time of the evening sacrifice, he says, draw near to me. Everybody come here. And he had, we, we know what happened. And he prayed and the fire fell. And the people fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. The fire is beginning to fall in our day. The fire is beginning. I'm ready for more. I want more. If it had been up to me, it had fallen 25 years ago. Okay, 30 it would, I wouldn't have had to wait more than 20 minutes for the fire to fall. We're going to talk about patience. We're going to talk about walking by faith and patience probably next. But in the middle of the grind, in the middle of the heat getting hotter, in the middle of God doing the things He's doing, we've got to realize that He's doing this for the world. He's not doing it to us. He's doing it for the kingdom. How many of you with me? He'll keep your, I'm telling you, if, if, if chicken gets to be $75 a pound, he will have the money in your hand or he'll have somebody show up at your door and hand you a chicken. Amen. He knows how to do this. You'll open your refrigerator door and go, where'd this chicken come from? Do not lift, look, a gift chicken in the beak. Are you with me? God is not constrained to save by many or by few. You know, we've been talking about have faith and all this kind of stuff. Saints, we're getting down to the point where you better. You better. And we're to the place where the devil is trying to shut us up. Isaiah um, 5 and 20. Think about this. This is Jezebel. Woe to you who call evil good and good evil. And substitute darkness for light and light for darkness and substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, we look at that and say, yeah, and that's what people are doing. Oh, wait a minute. Hold it. It's not just that. Look at that again. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. When they begin to call something that's good evil, they are giving themselves the moral authority to shut you up because you have become evil. If you've ever read about the martyrdom of Polycarp. Polycarp was an old man by the time they put him to death. The, the church was under great persecution. And they brought him into the arena. And they gave him a chance to recant. And they said, 
and, and they were calling Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the entire Roman pantheon of gods. And one of the things they were saying was all of these things have befallen us because we've abandoned the gods. And so many of these Christians are turning people away from the gods and the gods are angry with us for this. No, their culture had become so decadent and their army so weak that they were losing their empire. And you know one of the things they were doing there toward the end? They were printing money. Oh yeah, they were, they, they were to the point that, that coins that were, the, the gold and silver coins they used to have were becoming tin and they were taking the precious metal out of them and they were making more and more of them. You think what we're seeing today is unique? It is not. It has been done so many times. And they were failing economically. They were failing culturally. They were failing educationally. They were failing militarily. But it was the fault of the Christians. Man, the way these people are lining up against this abortion ruling, you'd think that, you know, that we had just, you know, and, and believe me, those of us who stand for life, We've got a target painted on us because you're caught when you call good evil, you are giving and Polycarp standing out there. I haven't forgotten about him. Polycarp is standing there and they said, Polycarp, renounce your faith. You know, renounce the atheists. And he raised his hand and he's in this big arena and he goes down with the atheists. Just like that. Defiant. And they said, renounce your faith in Jesus. He said, 80 something, I don't remember what it was, years have I served him. And he has never let me down. He has always been good to me. I will not deny him now. Amen. Sealed his testimony with his blood. And so cancel culture should not come as a surprise to any of us. Ministry of truth. Because they want to intimidate people not to speak up. And so many people are limping along trying to keep one foot in our culture so we don't make anybody mad. And another foot in the kingdom because we certainly wouldn't want to get sideways with God. We have to choose. Amen. We have to choose. Elijah let the prophets of Baal and the Asher do their thing, jumping up and down and all that kind of stuff. But then in 1 Kings 18, 37 and 30 through 39, it says, O Yahweh, answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God. And that you have turned, look at this, turned their heart back again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when they, all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. That is why we are going to see the power of God increase and intensify. That is why we're going to see healing. We're going to see massive provision. We're going to see blessing. We're going to see those things. The kind of things that people cannot deny. Not because God needs to bless us because it can't come from the world. But because he wants the world to see his hand in the church. And they fall on their faces and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But then you look at this. Then the hand of Yahweh was on. What did he do when he, he, he went and he had his servant look out and he says, a cloud the size of a man's hand. We probably wouldn't get excited about that. But he knew. There it is. That's the, in, that's the penetration. That's the place. And he said, 
go tell Ahab, you better get up to Yisrael because it, you know, so that the rain doesn't overtake him. And then in verse 46, it says, and the hand of Yahweh was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Yisrael, better pronunciation. And so he went up and he was right there and it's raining. And when God begins to move, everybody's excited, except the government. Now, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how they'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Sell me that God's due to me and even more if I don't make your life like one of them by tomorrow about this time. What did Elijah do? He freaked out. He didn't just leave town. He left the country. And we find him down south of Be'er Shiva going, Oh Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down their altars. And I alone am left. And I am not better than my fathers. Just kill me. I would much rather be in heaven than see this. But God had something he was doing. God had a plan. He was working. The grace of God was disciplining. Do you realize that had God not gotten hold of this situation, that Israel would have collapsed much, much earlier than it actually did. But as a result of it, Ahab and Jezebel were both judged. The kingdom, you know, and in fact, when you get over there, when Ahab's son took over, he even removed the Asherah. No, he wasn't what you would call a good king, but he was nowhere near as wicked as his father and his mother. And did you notice where it says Elisha was, Gehazi was, was talking to the king? That was the king of Israel. It was one of the successors of Ahab, of, of Ahab. And he was telling, why? Because now no longer did Yahweh worshipers have to hide in caves. They were actually out in public. They were actually preaching Yahweh. They were actually leading the people. And, that, and some sacrifice was restored. Was it good? No, the answer was it wasn't good. Things were much better in Judah. But it was so much better than it was. And God was able to rip some of these people and snatch them out of the fire. It started with 7,000, but I assure you it did not end with that. God still has multitudes he wants to bring in. And he will do it. And one of the reasons they'll come in is because they'll see what's going on in our lives. And they'll say, how do you do that? Remember the preachers, you know, when Elisha succeeded Elijah. When they went to Bethel, Bethel, the sons of the prophets were there. That means the preachers. They were saying, you know, the Lord's going to take your master. Yahweh's going to take your master today, right? He goes, hold your peace. Well, they're out in the open. They've got a school there. Then they go down to Jericho. Same thing. Then after Elijah was taken to heaven, 50 of them come to Elisha and said, let's go look for him. And Elisha goes, eh, Preachers. Israel never did get a righteous king, but they did get revival. We may never have another righteous king. But we will have revival. We may never have an upright. And you know, I don't believe things are ever going to go back to the way they once were. I think that world's gone forever. But that doesn't mean that God still can't move. He can still move. And that God will have his way. And I'm here to tell you that whoever gets in his way will get run over. 
In fact, just if our musicians would come, we've been training for this for a long time. There are many scholars who believe that the two witnesses of Revelation are not two individual people, but they are the two branches of the church, the Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And if you read the context, it makes a great deal of sense because that ministry, apparently, of righteousness brings many to righteousness. And whenever they are opposed, fire comes out of their mouth and destroys those who are in opposition. And in this way, they must be killed. You know what that tells me? Things are getting more serious by the day. There are many people who say, we're just like a frog in a kettle. Number one, I'm no frog. And number two, I'm not in anybody's pot. Because I, I can see what, I know the scripture. And what are we to do? We're to look around us and realize that what is happening with us and all of the things we're seeing, it's like the perfect storm. I mean, it's, it's like how you couldn't, there's, this is a conspiracy, all of these people in Davos and all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying something like that isn't going on. I don't know. But I can tell you this. I certainly would not want to be an elitist who is setting myself over and against Yahweh Amen. because, or against Jesus because they're going to find out the hard way that God is still in control. And nobody's controlling the weather except him. Everybody say amen. Him with a capital H. And the droughts, the floods, all of this. Well, it's just the solar cycle. You think God didn't know that was coming since he's the one who programmed them in? He created and sustains the world. The fact that the sun's getting a little cooler doesn't. It's not a surprise to him. He knew it was coming. He knew volcanic activity and increased uh, 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 seismic activity was coming. Why? He's the one who designed the system. It's part of the fall. Man, what an exciting day to be alive. What an exciting time. I remember my wife and I one time, we were getting ready to go down to Tulsa to pick up our children who were down there visiting their grandparents. And we had done uh, uh, Greg and Janine's wedding, uh, Norman's sister. And we were going to leave that afternoon and head down to pick up the kids. I had my little 1978 rusty Volkswagen Rabbit. And we were going <laughs> to drive down there. And get 43 miles to the gallon the whole way and back. And yeah, I love that car. I love that car. Satisfying to drive. You drove around with your foot on the floor all the time. It was not a turbo diesel. It was just a regular diesel. Lots of torque. No power. Stomp on it. Why? Get out of the way. That's why. And we were going to go. And I just kept telling Kathy. I said, you know, something says to wait till tomorrow. Something, I just somehow feel... Remember that? I feel uneasy about going. And she said, well, we don't have anything pressing. We can wait. So we did. We waited. And we went down the next day and we found out that the route we were planning on taking, which was not down 49, we were going to go down, or actually at the time it was 71, go down like that, that they'd had a terrible storm the night before that moved right through that area about the time that we would have been there. And there was an accident and several individuals were injured and a couple of people were killed. And we, we could very likely have been in it. 
But where were we? At home. Because the Lord steered us around it. The good shepherd will lead you around the danger. He knows where the mines are. So when he says, go to the right a little bit, or go to the left a little bit, it's getting to the point that it's no longer just training. It is for reals. As my grandsons like to say, it's for reals. Those of you watching by internet, we live, it's getting real around us. We watch the white horseman, the, the man on the white horse with the bow. He's, he's here. The guy on the red horse, he's here. The guy on the black horse, he's here. The guy on the pale horse, he's here. And it's not the devil. It is God turning up the heat so that people will not spend eternity in a sinner's hell, but cry out to him. And I'm telling you, if you do not know Jesus, you need to give your heart to him right now. Do not wait. For our God calls from heaven. And in fact, the scripture says, do not ignore his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, come to him, cry out to him, and enter his rest. If you're a Christian, and you've been casual in your approach, you've been casual in your, your faith, you haven't been like the Shunammite woman, fussing over your faith, fussing over your relationship with God, watching the details, looking out for this, that, and being, and you know, I don't, and I'm, yeah, maybe even a little perfectionistic about it, if we'll just say it that way. It, this would be a good time to get there. Because we live in awesome days, with awesome time, with an awesome God, who has prepared an awesome people to do an awesome work in the middle of an awesome outpouring. Hallelujah. If you can't get happy about that, you want to be a part of it? Remember what he said. I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. I'm not. Hey, whatever I have to do, I'm keeping up. Amen. Amen. What a day. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, I'm going to come back to you. All you need to do is to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe you've raised him from the dead. And Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. The scripture says you shall be saved. And you will pass from death into life. And you will go from the, under the boot of the enemy into the kingdom of God's beloved son. What an awesome thing. And you will shed the prince of the power of the air for the good shepherd to lead and feed. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.